All right, let's take a look at the, the outline here that's uh, on the screen. The Power of the Gospel is a series that we started a couple of weeks ago, and we want to sort of highlight the gospel message itself and the power that is packed into that message. And, and we see in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, this incredible verse of Scripture. Let's have it on the screen, please. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is a synopsis. This is the, the culmination of the whole book of Romans, or we want to call it the gospel to the Romans, where God, through the penmanship of the Apostle Paul, sort of power packs the entire gospel message written in the book of Romans in two verses. And we're going to sort of unpack this verse for several Sundays, as we began a couple of Sundays ago, and, and Pastor Mike spoke about the gospel itself. And today we're going to talk about the gospel message. But in the gospel message, we see that there is a gospel call. There is a call that comes from the gospel. The gospel call. Give me the next slide, please. There you go. The gospel call. And it is lined out for us in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Including you were called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it says, including you. Paul says in Romans 1.1 that God had called him as an apostle to proclaim and to preach the gospel, to communicate the gospel. And as the gospel is communicated, Paul is saying that God is calling him to Rome for the primary purpose of communicating the gospel because God has some people in Rome that he has already included, and there's some that he wants to include in this gospel message. There are some that God wants to call to belong to Jesus Christ. You see, the message of the gospel is, is a message that must be communicated. And as it is communicated, that communication God uses then through the communication of the message of the gospel then to call out people who are hearing the gospel and then who respond to that call by putting their faith and trust in Christ. In other words, they, they hear the message, they receive a call, and they respond to that call in repentance and in faith. So there is a gospel call that comes from the message of the gospel itself. And the Apostle Paul can't wait to get to Rome because it says the gospel, God wants to include you who are called to belong to Christ. He wants to include all who belong to Christ, not just then, but also today, those who are loved by God and are called, or God wants to call them, into sainthood or into the family of God. Isn't it great that God didn't have only one son? He wants many of us in his family. And we become a part of his family by hearing the gospel message, by receiving a call, and responding to that call through repentance and then in faith. And so the Apostle Paul is helping us clearly understand that as the gospel goes forth, the power of that gospel is in hearing because faith comes by hearing, right? How can they hear, how can they hear unless we are sent? And how can they hear unless we communicate? And when we are sent and when we communicate, like the Apostle Paul, God then uses that gospel message to bring clarity and understanding to the contents of the gospel. The contents are, it's a message about Jesus. 
And once they understand mentally and emotionally, intellectually, once they hear it and they understand it, then they receive a call from God to become a part of his family, and then they respond to that call by placing their faith and trust in Jesus, and repentance actually comes before putting your faith and trust in Christ. The gospel call. Many of us today here this morning have already received a gospel call. But there's some of us here who have yet to respond to the call of Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that gospel call this morning. Now notice in the next slide, we see the gospel call is laid out for us in Romans 8, 28. Possibly the most, most quoted, maybe most misunderstood passages there is in the book of Romans, possibly in the New Testament. And it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. God has not abdicated his throne. He has not left heaven. He has not left us to our own devices. God has a purpose and intent with each and every life that he gives life to. And his purpose, I believe, is to issue to us a call to receive Christ through repentance and faith. And upon receiving that call, we then to respond to that call. And God is purposefully orchestrating every activity, every event, every circumstance, every situation in your life in order to draw you unto himself. Jesus said that unless God draws you unto himself, we cannot become his disciples. And so God is, is wanting to draw us. He's wanting to bring us into the family. And he is working out in your life all of these purposes, all of these circumstances, all of these situations. You wonder why God does some of the things that he does. You don't understand some, and some you think you understand, you don't. And God is orchestrating all of these things, all of these things in your life, pre-Christ, to bring you, I believe, for the purpose of placing your faith and trust in him as Savior and Lord of your life. He calls us. The gospel has power through a call. And when we hear, we receive a call, and we respond to that call through repentance and faith. So let's put it all together this morning in the gospel message, and let's quickly take a look at the outline that I have for us on the screen. Number one, how do we put all these pieces together? We're going to ask a series of questions, and we're going to answer those very, very quickly. So what's my problem? Turn to your neighbor and say, what's your problem? Look at him back at that and say, your problem and my problem is one and the same. Because we all in here this morning have the same problem. What's my problem? Why do I need salvation? Why do I need to be saved? Why do I need Jesus? Why do I need what you're talking about, this thing called a call from God through the gospel? Why do I need it? What's my problem? The Bible says all of these are in Romans 3.10. Notice that all the passages, I've, I've skipped out the little R-O-M in a-N-S, Romans, before each passage. These passages are all in Romans. We're going we're to look at one or two passages outside of Romans, but this is the gospel call discovered in the book of Romans. So all of them are in Romans, all of the references, so to speak. So Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. None is righteous, no, not one. Not one of us in here this morning is what we would call righteous. None of us in here are innocent. That's what the word sort of indicates. The word righteous here means innocent. None of us in here are innocent. We are all guilty. Look at your neighbor and say, that's right, you are guilty. We're all guilty. Guilty of what? Guilty of unrighteousness. 
All of us are guilty of having committed sin. There is no one, not one of us in here, that is not guilty of sinning. Notice Romans 3.23 says, For all, all of us in this room and all of us in the world have the same problem. We have all sinned. Have sin is one word. That means you not only did sin, but you have sin. You are sinning. You have sin. So you have sin in your life. The word sin simply means to disobey God. You've either failed to do what God has asked you to do, or you have failed to do what God has told you. You have done what God has told you not to do. You have failed to do what God has asked you to do, or you have not done what God has asked you to do. So there are two types of sin. I did what God said I couldn't, shouldn't, wouldn't, didn't need to do. I violated his principles, his precepts, his laws, or I didn't do what he's asked me to do. That's also a sin when I don't do what he asked me to do. So all of us are sinners, and because of that, we fall short. That word fall short simply means that we don't live up to, we don't measure up to, we don't meet the requirement or the expectation of the glory of God. God has a standard, and he is the standard. And because he is the standard, that standard is a standard of perfection. And as I jokingly often comment in this room together, the only one close to perfection is moi. No, I'm kidding. All of us are sinners. Not one of us is righteous. No, not one. What's my problem? My problem is sin. I have either failed to do what God has asked me to do, or I have done the things that God has said I should not do. I have violated God's principles, his precepts, or his laws. That's why we have the Ten Commandments. All have sinned. Anyone in here never told a lie? Anyone want to dare to raise your hand and say, I have never lied in my life? I mean, look around the room. You're sitting next to a bunch of liars. All of us have said, we are liars. And the commandment said, thou shalt not lie. So what does that mean? That means we have all violated the laws, the standards of God. And so we are all sinners. Now, my problem is sin. The next question is simply this. Why is my sin such a big deal? Why is my sin so bad? Okay, Charles, you have you identified the fact that I violated God's principles and God's precepts and I'm a sinner. So why is my sin such a big deal? Why is it so bad? Because it says in Romans 3.19, Now we know that whoever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Because you have violated God's principles, his precepts, you have broken his law, because you have sinned against him, you will be held accountable. The law condemns you. That's why God gave the law. The law speaks into our lives and helps us understand and helps us realize that we have not lived up to the expectations of the standards of God. We have violated the law. And that law says, because we have sinned, we are going to be held accountable to God. One of these days, you and I are going to be answerable. We are going to answer for our sin against God. We're not going to stand in front of each other. We're not going to stand in front of a judge. We're going to stand before God. And as we stand before God, he is going to ask us and to require of us accountability for our sin. And you're going to be held accountable for your sin. The next passage says, in the book of Romans, it says, notice it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. In this accountability, because I'm going to answer for my sin, Notice, I am then going to receive the wrath of God. This word wrath means the righteous indignation of God. You want to make God angry? 
violate his laws, fail to do what he asks you to do, or do something he said that you should not do, you violate those principles and those precepts, and you will suffer the wrath, the righteous indignation of God. God doesn't smile. He doesn't laugh. He doesn't condone sin. He doesn't just look at sin and go, that's no big deal. What sin does, it, it, it reciprocates into our lives the wrath, the anger, the righteous indignation of God. And he looks upon our sin with wrath. Jesus suffered the full brunt of the wrath of God on the cross of Calvary, which we're going to see in just a minute. And so because we are sinners and we are answerable to God, there's a thing called the wrath of God that we will become recipients of. Notice in Romans 2, 6, it says, he, God, will repay each one according to his works. You and I will stand before God and we will, he will require a payment. We will have to repay for each act that we have committed against God, each one of us will stand before God and give an account of our lives. None of us will be immune or excused from standing before God and being held accountable for our sin against him. Each and every one of us are going to stand accountable to him. And we will, we will be required now to pay according to our sin. But notice in the next passage, Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death. What is the payment for our sin? What is the wage? The word wage is something that we receive because we rightfully deserve. We have violated the principles and the precepts and the standards and the laws of God. And because we are guilty, what we then are required to pay is death. That wage, what we rightfully deserve, is death as opposed to life. In other words, we won't receive abundant life in this life or eternal life in heaven because of our sin against God. That's why sin is such a big deal. So the next question is, well, then who can help me? Who can help me? I mean, I'm in a state that, that I, I recognize and realize that I, I am guilty before God. I have sinned. I've disobeyed him. I'm going to stand accountable before him someday. I'm going to, I'm going to receive his wrath. I'm going, to be re, I'm going to ask to pay back that which I have violated, that infraction that I have committed, that that the thing that I've done, I'm gonna, there's going to be a payment. And the payment is the wrath of God, and it's the judgment of God. It's not only a loss of abundant life in this life, but eternal life with him in heaven. And so as a result of that, who can help me? I, I, I'm helpless here. Who can come to my assistance? Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 gives us the beautiful answer to that. For while we're still weak, that word weak is an interesting word. It means we are unable in our own strength. We lack the strength. We lack the ability to save ourselves, to say no to sin. While we were still weak in our sin, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for those who, who had committed the infraction. Jesus had not committed the sin, yet he himself bore our sin on the cross, died in our place so that we might receive the forgiveness of God. Notice, but God shows his love for us. God demonstrates his love. We often think that, that, that the wrath of God is all about, about a mean, vindictive, angry God. But notice God's judgment is basically a demonstration of his mercy, of his grace, and his love. For God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, undeserving of grace, of mercy, of love, and forgiveness, while we were still in our sin, rebellious, resistant to him, defying his principles, his precepts, and his laws, and living life for self instead of living life for God, Christ died for us. He saw our need, and he sent Jesus to take our place. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only 
Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came to our rescue. And he said, I who have alone, I alone who have not sinned, because he was both God and fully man, yet was without sin. The only one that ever lived on the planet, the ever one, the only one who walked on the earth, the only one who lived this life as we live it today was without sin. Because he was fully God and fully man. Resisted temptation and never sinned, not one time. Stepped into our place, took a step forward and said, God, hold me accountable for their sin. Pour your wrath on me as I lay on a cross, an altar called Calvary. And I will pay what they owe. Pour it out on me, all of your wrath, and I will die in their place. Who can help us? Jesus. Well, the fourth question is, when does it happen then? If Christ died for us, then when does this happen? When does this, when did this Jesus come to our rescue? When does this Jesus actually save us? There are three things that I want to quickly point out. Number one, I must repent of my sin. Look at Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume or assume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His mercy, his love, his grace, and his kindness and all of those wonderful attributes of God are intended to be poured out for our benefit, for our behalf, through Jesus on the cross. And the only way that we can receive this wonderful thing called salvation is through what he calls repentance. Repentance. And this is what I think and where I think today many gospel presentations miss this very important aspect. Without repentance, there is no salvation. Without repentance, there is no salvation. Repentance is an interesting word. Repentance means that we are to basically turn from our old selves and turn to Christ. We are to turn from the old life. We are living for self and living in sin and living a crisis life, an ungodly life, as we please. And we repent of this life that we lived. We, we, had, we agree with God that we're sinners. We admit our sin and we turn from a life of sin. And we now turn no longer slaves to sin, but now we become slaves to God. We commit our lives to him. We repent of the old life and we turn to live and to walk into the newness of life. There is a turning from an old and a turning to a new. We are no longer the old that we were. We now become the new with a new mind, a new heart, a new life, a new way to live, a, a new purpose, a new goal, a new objective, and we're walking in Jesus. There's repentance. Notice 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, for godly grief, genuine, authentic conviction of sin, godly grief produces repentance. And repentance leads to what? to salvation. Once I, had, I agree with God that I have sinned and I admit to him that I have sinned, I must then turn from my sin in repentance and turn to Jesus. That's why you can't call yourself a Christian and keep living this life. And there are many today who want to do that. They want to say, well, I'm a Christian, but, but, but I want to live this old life that I used to live and still claim him as my savior. No, genuine repentance is turning from the old life and turning to the new life. So when does salvation happen? When I repent of my sin. Secondly, we see not only should I repent of my sin, but it must also when I put faith in Jesus. As I turn from my old life, I must then by faith trust Jesus. Notice chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who what? Who believes. That word belief means to put one's trust. It means to put one's confidence in the truths as contained in the gospel message of Jesus. You believe in the gospel, in the power of that gospel message that Jesus, who lived his life perfect, became the substitute for your sin on a cross at Calvary, took upon himself your sin against God, and literally died so that you could live, only to three days later to be raised from the dead so that we might be free of sin. Romans 1.17 says, For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The only way that you can have the righteousness that is required by God to be saved from your sin is a righteousness that is found through faith in Jesus. Interesting that Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, in that it is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. I put my faith in Jesus who died on the cross for my sin. It's not about what I do. It's about what he did. And once he did it, when I put my faith in him, everything that needs to be done has been done. And I no longer have to do because he did it all. I put my faith, my confidence, my trust in Jesus who died in my place for my sin against God. So I put my faith in Jesus. Number three, I must confess Jesus as Lord. And I'm convinced that not only is repentance required in order for salvation to take place, but I think lordship is not a second step, but it's the same step as salvation. Because not only am I repenting from the old life and putting my faith in Jesus and anchoring my life on him, and, but I am now confessing him as Lord, and I make him the leader, the Lord of my life. Notice he says in Romans 10, 9, 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that word confess means to acknowledge. To acknowledge Jesus as Lord. To make an open and total free declaration where you say from now on, he is my Lord. I follow him. I am not following him to be saved. I am following him because I am saved, because he is the Lord of my life. Lordship is not an option. And there are many today who want to say, as I said earlier, I want to pray this little quick prayer, and then I want to live my life any way I want to live it. You just... just, You do your thing, and I'll do my thing, and in the end of my life, I I want to come into the presence, and and I want to be saved, and I want to go to heaven. And he says, it doesn't work that way. You must confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and then you will be saved. And I think lordship is a critical and very key as, as much as it is repentance. I must repent, put my faith in Jesus, my confidence, my trust in him, and then live out his lordship and following that which he asked me to do, following in the footsteps of Jesus, so that we can become transformed in the likeness of Jesus. And we're going to go there in a little bit in, 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 later on in our study. So where does it, when does it happen? What well, happens when I first repent of my sin? When I put my faith in Christ and when I confess Jesus as Lord. So there are the facts. There's, there's the way. So here's the, the next and next to last question. Now what do I do? Now what should I do? Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I've heard the facts. I'm receiving a call. 
I respond to that call by calling on the name of Jesus to save me. For Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and salvation for everyone who believes. How can you be ashamed of the gospel message that has brought you to salvation over your sin against God? To call upon his name, to unashamedly, publicly declare your intent to be a fully devoted Christ follower and to follow him as Lord and Savior of your life. Romans 6.23 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and is end eternal life. What do you do after you're saved? You call upon him. You respond to the call. You invite him into your life to be not just your Savior, but also your Lord as you turn from your old life to your new life. You publicly declare your intent, as Jesus did, to follow Christ in baptism. And you, 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 you communicate to the world that now you're a new creation in Christ. And then you seek to live out that life on a day-to-day basis, sanctified, holy, cleansed. Not because you're living this life to be saved, but because you are saved. You see, the life of a true disciple of Jesus leads to sanctification. It leads to holiness. It leads to righteousness. Not because I must be righteous in order to be saved, but because I am saved. I live, and he is sanctifying me. He is working, and we're going to come back to this in in a couple of Sundays, about how important it is that this sanctifying work of of God happens post-conversion. He begins to to work in us, to sanctify us, to cleanse us, and to make us more into the likeness of Jesus. And the ultimate end is glorification, which is eternal life. So, here's the final question. How can I be sure once I know that I know that I'm saved? There's some beautiful assurances in the book of Romans. We don't have time to look at all of them, but notice in Romans 3.23, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. If you believe, you have been granted, you have been gifted, you have been grafted into the righteousness of Christ, and now you stand in his righteousness, and because of your belief and your trust and your confidence in him, you stand before God as a forgiven sinner. Romans 10, 11 says, for the scripture says that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And one of these days as you stand before God, you're giving account of your life. Jesus steps in and says, account paid, forgiven, cleansed. I took upon myself his sin against you, Father, and died in his place. The beautiful passage I read earlier, just a quick reminder, Romans 10, 9, says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You not hope to be saved, not maybe will be saved, but you will be saved. In verse 10, it says, for the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, and is saved. Not maybe, not hopefully, but is saved. Some while back, not this weekend, but some while back, I went to a, a service, a memorial service for someone. And uh, the sad reality is that the person that was conducting the service continued to say about the one that they were honoring, we hope they're in heaven. We pray they're in heaven. 
We want to believe that they are in heaven, but never gave any assurances that the individual was actually in heaven. And I walked away with a sadness in my heart of a faith that will believe that they don't have the assurance that once they put their faith and trust in Christ, they can know that they know that they are saved. Jesus came that we might know that we have eternal life, not that we hope, not that we pray, not that maybe, but that we can know that we know that we have eternal life. Do you know? I have two questions I want to ask as we close. Am I receiving a call from God today? Am I receiving a call from God today? You've heard the truth about who Jesus is and the gospel message. Has he opened your ears? Has he opened your mind? Has he opened your understanding? Do you fully recognize and realize that you are a sinner? And there's a price to be paid and you'll stand accountable before the Lord. But that Jesus paid the price for your debt, for your sin. And that through through repentance, by turning from an old life and turning to a new life, by putting your faith in Jesus, by receiving him as your personal savior and committing to him the leadership and lordship of your life, that you can today be saved. There's a tug, there's a nudge, there's a call in your heart. I have known people who have received a tug, a nudge, a call, and have ignored it and rejected it for many, many years. have never responded to that call until a certain time, a certain place, when they finally decided, yes, I will respond. Is that you today? My last church, uh, there was an elderly gentleman. He was, well, he was elderly at the time. He doesn't seem so elderly now. He was 77 years old. And his wife was having surgery, and we were talking in the, in the uh, waiting room. And he had, his dad was a pastor. He had grown up in church all of his life and had been a member of our church for quite some time. And I asked him, I said, are you, are you a believer? Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, no one's asked me. And right there in that hospital waiting room, he asked Jesus to come into his heart and be a savior. And he committed to following him as Lord of his life. The man's life was forever changed. I know a man, his name was Cap, in my last church as well. It's good to tell stories from old churches, isn't it? No one knows who they are here. I'm sure Cap was already gone. Former pastor of 34 years said, if you can lead that man to Christ, you can lead anybody to Jesus. In a simple conversation that he and I had, God called him. He responded to the call. And I had the privilege of baptizing him because he had put his faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord of his life. Not a matter of how old or how young you are. It's a matter of receiving a call. You've heard the facts. Is there a call right now to trust Jesus? And if there is, here's the second question. Will I respond to God's call? Will you respond to God's call? You see, the call is a response. It's not a real simple little prayer that we often are led at this time. Just a little prayer. We... We say it quickly and we don't mean much about it. But it's a call that will change and transform your life. And I wonder if you have received a call, are you responding? And will you respond to that call?